Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. another. One of the distinctives of the chapel is that we are a community, a family. We come, we gather together, not only to experience the love of God, the presence of God, which we felt this morning, but to write to care for one another. So welcome. If this is your first time to the chapel, you can see these are some wonderful people. You're in good company, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, One of the things about the chapel is when we walk in, the first thing we sense is the beauty of this building, right? And it causes us and invites us to look up and sense the presence of God and seek God. And we do come for that first and foremost. We do come because we want to experience God's presence. We want to hear his voice. And then we come for community to be with one another. And so this is a very special place, and we're glad that you're here. And if you've never connected, uh, on your bulletin, there's a connect card at the bottom of it. And that's a good place for you to write down your name, your information, and let us know if there's any questions or any guidance that you need so that you can feel that you're part of this family or there's any way in which you want to serve, we want to connect with you. And you can take that card, put it in an offering box, or give it to anyone with a lanyard or to myself, And we will connect with you later this week and try to figure out a way to answer your questions and get you plugged in. Now, as you know, uh, we have uh, prayer and worship nights here at the chapel several times a year. And we've got one coming up this Wednesday. And I heard you sing, so you've got to come. And, you know, there's no mistake on your bulletin. It says from 7 to 9 p.m. Yes, it's a two-hour experience. And people usually don't leave until past 10 Because it is so powerful when we gather together in this place and we worship God and we pray and we spend the whole time simply telling God how wonderful he is and miracles happen in this place. And you don't want to miss it. And I know, Chapel Peeps, you've got your seats in this place where you sit every single Sunday. So if you want to get your seat, you better get early because this place packs up, all right? So I want to invite you to do that. And there is child care. And the way you sign up is you go online on the marinerschurch.org website and sign up for childcare. You don't want to miss this, and I hope to see you there. I'm going to be teaching a little bit on on that service as well. Um, The other thing I want to uh, tell you about is that every year, the pastors of this church, some 30-some pastors, uh, we go on a retreat uh, for a week with our senior pastor. And the journey of that retreat is for us to build relationship with one another, to hear from God, believe it or not, to actually have some fun together because we work so hard all the time and sometimes we're just like barking orders at one another and we kind of take all the, all the uh, relationship out the window. So we, we have fun together to build relationship with one another and we come back refreshed. Well, this year, uh, we were surprised on day one of the trip uh, as Kenton gathered us together and we worshiped beautifully. Your pastors can sing, let me tell you. When we were done, he announced that the next senior pastor has been selected at Mariner's Church. Here's the good news. Now, the Mariner's Church has been on this journey for years. 
Kenton uh, knows his age. He knows that God was going to call him to something else. So all along, uh, over the last few years, they've been working very diligently at what would it look like to have a very healthy uh, transition of senior pastor at this church so that God can continue to do the work that he's doing through us, his people. And they've been very, very intentional with this process. It was announced earlier this year that the search committee was established, and they've been interviewing candidates, and they came to a conclusion to one candidate. And while we were at the pastor's retreat, Kenton introduced them to us. And our jaws dropped, and we started crying, and it was an emotional moment. And then we spent the whole week with him and his wife and his two daughters there from Nashville. And we got to know him. We got to hear him, his heart. We got to pray with him and for them. And I'm telling you, we have an amazing senior pastor soon to come. Now, Kenton's not going anywhere yet. He will still be here through June of 2020. So over this next year and a half or so, they're going to work together as, to make, again, this transition as healthy, as good as possible. But I'm telling you something. God loves our church, and he's given us an amazing senior pastor to be, uh, and he's going to come start in September, but I want you to meet him, so check out this video. Five months ago, Lori and I shared with you the news of our transition, a story God began writing 12 years ago, and I want to thank you for praying for us, our search committee, and our elders as we searched for Mariner's next senior pastor. Every year, we take our pastors on a staff retreat, a time away. And this year, two families hosted us in the mountains. But I wanted to add a big surprise. I invited Mariner's new senior pastor and his family to join us. We had a blast together. And it was so fun to watch our pastors get to know him. And now, I want to introduce him to you. Mariner's, meet Eric Geiger. Hi, Mariner's. My name is Eric Geiger, and I'm so excited to be the next senior pastor of this great church. It's been incredible to see how the Lord has pulled all of this together. Just as the Lord was working on Kenton and Lori's heart in February and the search team and the elders, that's really when the Lord started working on my heart and the heart of my wife, Kay, and our kids as well. In February, I was actually out speaking in Southern California in Orange County, and I was texting my wife, who's back home in Nashville, saying, baby, I don't know exactly what's happening, but the Lord has given me a heart for this area, a passion for this area, I'll tell you more in the future about all that took place over the last five or six months, but I had no idea that we would be here in this moment. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's provision and His sovereignty and His grace to me in giving me this incredible opportunity to be your pastor. I'm so excited to be with you face to face. I can't wait to get there. I look forward to meeting you. Eric and his family are taking the month of August to wrap things up in Nashville. And then they'll be back in September joining us. And I'm really excited because he's going to be joining me in the series on Joshua. I can't wait for you to meet him, and you're going to love him. Yay. Oh, so exciting. You're going, to, you're going to be so pleased. So glad that you're here. You know, we've been on uh, a series on Ephesians, and we finished it last week. And next week, we're going to start a series on wisdom. So we had one Sunday... We can, you know, God could talk to us in a very uniquely way. And I've been praying, and I felt that God was uh, talking to me and wanting me to talk to you about our space, the chapel, the things that we do here at the chapel, and why we do them. Uh, because there are certain things that we do on a routine basis. Now, if you're new to the chapel, you don't know this, but those who come on a regular basis know this that at the end of the teaching, every single Sunday, 
we get up from our seats and we respond to what God is telling us. And we go to the various stations around the room and we do this every single Sunday. We take communion here every single Sunday, which is part of the reason many of you love coming to the chapel. But here's the thing about routine. Routine can be very good, right? You have a a certain routine every day, and it helps you organize your life and keep things in order. Uh, You know, there are certain things that happen within a time limit. You, You know, taxes, they must be paid on time, and you have to do that every year, and you have to get the kids to school on time, and you have to get to work on time, and so you build these routines to organize life. So routines are good, but there is a negative side to routine, right? Because soon routines can become so rote, you do them over and over again, that sometimes you don't even know why you're doing them. Like, I get up in the morning, I make my bed first, and then I go brush my teeth. I do it every day. Don't ask me why I do that. It just became a routine. I don't think about it. Before I know it, that bed is made, and I'm over there brushing my teeth. So some routines you can totally go mindless on, right? Or have you ever done this where you're driving and you're driving along and you're thinking about 10 billion things and you get to the other side, you go, I don't even remember driving. I don't know how I got there, right? And it's, it's become routine. And the, the damage with doing uh, routines related to God is that we miss out on what God is telling us. So while we have a routine here at the chapel, we don't want to miss out on what God wants to tell us through this routine, or even why we do it. So we're going to take this service, and we're going to highlight every single one of the stations. I'm going to talk to you about each one of them and why we do them, so that we can refresh our perspective on these, uh, this routine, this response uh, thing that we do every single week. Now, as I was praying about this, I was asking God, well, God, you know, each of these stations has a passage. I don't know if you know this, but in every station, there's a card like this that has a passage attached to it. And I thought, you know, it's going to feel like a bit of a popcorn uh, sermon. I need some sort of a frame. And I prayed about this. And, you know, the Bible is a big book. Like, what passage could I possibly use to frame all of this? But, you know, God is so good. He always, always speaks and tells us what to do. And I went to Psalm 86, only the second psalm I read, and God said, that's it. Here's why. Psalm 86 is a psalm of David praying to God. He is praying to the Lord, and he is having this dialogue with God. And here's the thing. When we come to every one of these stations, we are having a dialogue with God. It's a place and an invitation for us to have a conversation with God. And that's what uh, David is going to model for us through this psalm. So we're going to go through the psalm, and we're going to go through the stations. And it's my heart and my desire that God will refresh our perspective on that. So beginning in the very first verse of the psalm, David says this, Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. You notice the very first thing that David demonstrates is an understanding of who God is and who David is in in, uh, in connection or in relation to God. God is the Lord. David is poor and needy. Now, we're all needy. We're all in one way poor. Only God has it all. Only God has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom. We don't have that. We are absolutely dependent on him. The Word of God says that God holds all things together. We even breathe because of the hand of God that keeps even our world, our universe together, right? And David says we are poor and needy, which reminds me of a baby. 
You know, when you think about us humans, we are absolutely helpless when we're born. I mean, a baby is born, and without a parent or someone to care for that child, it would not survive. A child cannot speak, a baby can't speak, can't walk, can't get up, can't find where the food is. I mean, it's completely helpless. And that's not the case with animals. Think, for example, sea turtles. The moms come to the sea, they lay their eggs, and then they go and disappear, and the eggs stay by themselves. And if they survive and hatch, then they have to brave their way back to the ocean, not even knowing what an ocean is. And miraculously, those little turtles hatch, find their way to the ocean, and off they go on their own to live. Or, you know, giraffes. Within hours of a giraffe being born, they're walking around, finding food, eating from some tree. And I just recently watched a show that actually had a scene with a, a cow having a little cow, a baby cow, and that, that cow jumped off of the cow literally and started running. The minute that baby was born, off it went to eat grass. That is not the case with us, right? We are born and we are helpless, and we're helpless for a very long time. But over time, the goal for each of us is to become more and more independent of the need to be taken care of, right? As we grow up, our children grow up, we want them to develop into independent adults, people who can do their own laundry, pay their own bills, buy their own grocery, go to work, and all of that. And so we develop into independent adults. It is absolutely opposite in our relationship with God. When you think about it, when you're born, you're not even consciously aware of God. You don't even know he exists. Once you become aware that he does exist, you're not even understanding how you are dependent on them. And often, we reject or rebel against God before we even know him. But once we do say yes to Jesus, once we accept his love, and we understand who God is and what he has done for us, we're born again. It's like being a child all over again. And we understand that we're absolutely dependent on God. The problem is, over time, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, we tend to go now and towards the same way that we grow up as children, and we become independent of him over time, when in reality, we should become more and more dependent the longer we are walking with God, because we understand how we need him. David understood. The Word of God says David was a man after God's own heart. Why? He understood his utter dependence on God. Like a little baby who would not survive without a parent, you and I as believers cannot spiritually survive if we don't stay attached, dependent on our Heavenly Father. And everything we do here at the chapel, everything is a worship experience. We start worshiping the minute we walk into this building, when we sing songs, when we hear God's word, when we respond. All of it is a worship experience, but the stations are essentially a prayer. Every step is a prayer. And see, David says this about prayer. He says, hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, read this with me, because you answer me. I call to you because you answer me. David is praying to a God that is alive. This is not a dead God. It's not a distant God. It's not an idol that's sitting there looking like frozen. He's praying to a God. He's having a conversation with God. He's saying, God, I can pray to you. I can lift up my needs to you. I can praise you. And I know that you hear me. And not only that, you respond. You answer 
And when we're having conversations with God, which is essentially what prayer is, we have to understand conversation and the same concept, we have dialogue with one another. Like if you ever had a, a lunch with someone and they were talking the whole time and you couldn't say a word whatsoever, how pleasant was that? You've had one of those. Huh? So when we get together with God, why would we just go on rambling, talking nonstop and talking and talking and talking without making space for God to have a little dialogue with us? David understands it's a dialogue with God, which includes speaking to God and listening and taking a time for God to say what he wants to say to us. It's a conversation. That's what prayer is. We tend to think of prayer as a one-way, but it's not. It's a two-way conversation. And when we go to God in this conversation, we can give him whatever is in our hearts, whatever it is that we need. And we can give him the difficult things, but we can also give him the good things. Now, in, in, in our uh, prayer wall, which is right here on this corner of the room, there is one of these signs, and this is the passage that's on there. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Uh, well, let's read that together if we could, once it's on the screen. Ready? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You notice, don't be anxious about everything, but in Every situation, high, low, everything in between, come to God. Present your prayers to God. And, you know, we, we have the prayer wall, which is a beautiful place to write down a prayer. And something about writing down your prayers is just so beautiful, right? And we put it on the wall, and we do have a team that prays for them. But every Sunday, we have also our prayer team. Right up front here, we have our elder, and usually with his wife, and then we have prayer members throughout the room. And these are people who feel called by God to join you in prayer. They come to serve you. They come to hear God's voice with you. And so when we come and we respond to God, yes, we can write the prayers and put them on the wall. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, I want to encourage you to go meet one of our prayer warriors. Have a dialogue with them. There's a pretty good chance that your, the answer to your prayer is going to come through that person, and you're going to hear the answer through them. It may be that person is the answer to your prayer. It may be that there's something that you need that person can uniquely give. And we don't go to the prayer warriors just with our sorrows and our complaints, although, yes, we do that. And I know I've heard you. I've talked to you. This is what I hear all the time. Well, I'm a little afraid the chapel's like well lit. And if I go and pray and I start crying, then everyone's going to wonder, oh my gosh, what's happening with her? Why is she crying so much? Was she upset? Or he's so upset? And so we think, uh -huh, I don't want to pray in public. But listen, you don't know if the, if the prayer that you have with someone might bring so much joy to your heart, you're crying. And that's why you're there. It's not because something bad is happening. I can't tell you how many times I ask someone to pray for me. I don't even know what I want them to pray for me on. And I pray, and I'm so overwhelmed by God's love and goodness and compassion that I start crying. So don't assume that someone that goes to pray is going because something's wrong. Let's not ask them after they're done, what's wrong? Why do you end up prayer? Just go, you know, just celebrate with them that they're praying. Jesus tells us to pray with one another. He says, whether two or more are gathered, there I am with you. And so when we pray together, we are acknowledging that God is with us and hearing our prayers. 
and we get to be together in community. Jesus tells us to do so, to pray in community. The Psalms were written for us to pray in community. And by the way, if you're interested in serving as a prayer warrior, we could use some more prayer warriors at the chapel. So fill out one of those connect cards. Let us know if you want to be part of the prayer team. You can serve once a month or every Sunday if you want. But we could use more of prayer warriors so that we can be a house of prayer. That's what we want the chapel to be, a house of prayer. Everything that we do is anchored in prayer. Why? Because we want to have a conversation with our creator. That's why we come. And so it's our foundation that we come to pray. Now, the second uh, station I want to highlight that David essentially takes us to is the offering. Verse 10 says this, For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Maybe we should read that one together too. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. David understood that all good things come from God, that God is the only one that can provide for our deepest needs, that while we may have the ability to care for some things, even that is it's it for us because God has provided. Our very breath is a gift from God. So when we come to the offering boxes, you know what we're doing? We're having a dialogue with God in gratitude. Say, God, everything that I have, everything that I have comes from you. And you might say, well, I don't have enough, but that's okay. When we come to the offering boxes, we can have a conversation with God on that too. God, I'm really struggling. I don't feel like I have enough, but you alone are God, and you do marvelous things, and you provide for my very needs, and so therefore I can trust you. I can give from what you give me, believing you will provide what I need. That's how David, the posture he had towards God. The hardest thing to do is to pull that first dollar out of your pocket. When you have never given, that first step is the hardest because you don't see how this could possibly work out. You think, no, I don't know that that works, and I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. You know, the the thing that says you give to God and you're going to become rich. Listen, I am not going for that either. I don't believe in that either. But there's the thing. God does bless us when we give from the abundance he gives us. And that blessing may not be money. It most likely will not be money. But it will be a blessing that will surprise you. Most importantly, it will be a blessing to your soul. Listen to the passage that is directed to this station. Listen to what it says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You notice the all, all things. When we give from what we have received from God, we are saying, God, we admit that we are fully dependent on you. And we can have a good dialogue with God about that. Because our finances are not the same every week, are they? We may, have, we may have be in a situation where our finances go up and down, and every time you give, maybe your conversation with God might be a little different. Maybe God wants to say something to you about how he provides for you. And if nothing else, we go to the offering boxes to say thank you. Thank you, God, 
that I got to eat today. This is Oscar where you want to say thank you, Jesus, over and over again, my friend. Because here, listen, when we say thank you to Jesus, when we come to the uh, offering boxes, we're saying, thank you, God, I ate today. Thank you, God, I drove myself here today. Thank you, God, I have a home today. Thank you, God, there is power in my house today. Thank you, God, I have healing. Thank you, God, I have relationship. All kinds of reasons to say thank you to God. God is a generous God. And he has been generous to each and every one of us. Yes, let's say thank you to Jesus. Thank you. And you might say, well, I don't know what happens with that money. I don't even know if it's used well. Who, what are they doing with this money? Do you remember that movie, uh, Pay It Forward, in 2000? You see it? Let me see how many of you saw it. Okay, great. So this teacher gives the students uh, a, a project for the whole year. He tells the students, each of you are to come up with something that will make the world a better place. The world is a dark and difficult place, but each of us can make it better. And so all year long, you will find something that can solve some of these problems and put it into action. One student, young Trevor, came up with this plan. He wrote it on the chalkboard. He says, I'm going to help three people do something they cannot do for themselves. And then I'm going to ask them not to thank me or do something back towards me, but to take care of three other people and do something for them that they can't do. So there'll be nine. And those nine people will be asked to do something for three other people. And you can imagine the multiplication that takes place. Well, this movie came out. This is not a new concept. It's actually a biblical concept. And people just went crazy with this idea of paying it forward. Well, that's what we do every week when we say thank you to God. Because when we give, when we receive, and we give from what we receive. God multiplies our generosity for his purposes. People are blessed in ways you have no idea. As your pastor and as a staff member here at Mariner's Church, I see a document called the Roadmap. And this document is put together by every minister here at the church. Every pastor, every leader puts down all the different things that they're doing that year for the community, for the world. And the events, the activities, the people that are being served would blow your mind. The biggest secret in this church is the amount of amazing things that happen in God's name because of your generosity. That shouldn't be a secret, but we're told not to boast. But I'm telling you, there are some children that are cared for. There are orphans. There are widows. There are single moms. There are people with addictions. There are people who are dealing with uh, divorce, people who are dealing with recovering from an abortion. We have people who are dealing with uh, all kinds of relational problems, people who are dealing with poverty, extreme poverty, extreme needs. Those people are being helped through our generosity. So Every time we come to the offering boxes, we can say to God, God, you gave to me, I am paying it forward. And you trust that God will make that usable for his purposes. Now, in the movie, there's a little girl who was a little skeptical. She's like, well, I don't know if I, if I trust somebody else. You know, it's an honor system. People won't do the honor system. But the reality was, despite her skepticism, the concept of paying it forward overwhelms the few instances where something perhaps was not done through. And so you and I don't have to worry about that. That's God's job. We give it to God. We let him be the one to follow through in it. And we make the world a better place as we say thank you to God, right? That's why we come to the offering boxes. Then we have the, the confession, which is our cross. Beautiful, beautiful station. 
This is where we come and we give to God our sin. Every single one of us has sin. And look at David's own words. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely in your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Sin, when we basically say to God, I don't need you. You know, like a little kid who says, I do it my way. Oh, I do it. I don't need you. When we say that to God and we separate from his love, his provision, his compassion, we essentially walk ourselves toward death. Like a baby who cannot support itself. That's how we become spiritually. And not only that, but maybe even in our lives, we experience death. Boy, do I know this myself. Because I tried to do life my way for a long time. And I brought death to relationship. I ended up in multiple divorces. I had more problems in my life because I simply said to God, I do it my way. Well, so much for that. That was a foolish way to live. And I knew it eventually when God finally got me on my knees. And on the cross, we come because we remember while we are sinful people, Jesus is making us new. That's not the corner of shame. I need to say that again so you can sing. That's not the corner of shame. That's right. That's the corner of victory. That's where we can say, Jesus paid the price for our sin. So we go there not because we're shameful, but because we are grateful that God has saved us from our sin and continues to do so. You and I have been created new through Jesus Christ, but we still live with our sinful nature. And this sort of new but not completely new just yet season requires that we constantly remember that in our hearts there's still the potential for great sin. And so we deal with it. It's like pulling weeds out of our hearts, right? We pull weeds on a regular basis and say, God, I'm going to give you this weed and that. Oh, I'm giving you a tree now. You know, some of us have to give some bushes and some, some forests. But whatever it is, we say we are clearing out our hearts. We don't want an un, a divided heart. We come to the cross saying, God, give me an undivided heart towards you that I might revere your name. And so, again, we don't ask people like, hey, what did you confess? You have sin. I don't have sin. There is none of us that doesn't have sin. None of us. Every single one of us. Every single day. We're doing stuff we know we shouldn't. We're thinking thoughts we we know we shouldn't. And no matter how hard we try to pretend we're perfect, we're not. That's where we get to take off like the perfect mask that we try to carry. Some people come to the church and go, you know, I don't feel comfortable there because all you look like such perfect people. You got it all together. Can we say a big amen that we're not? We're not. When we go to the cross, we admit we are broken people who need a Savior. First John tells us this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves when we think that we have no sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why would we not want to go and take a shower on his grace at the cross? We come to experience this. Jesus even tells us, come, confess your sins on a regular basis. Right there on the Lord's prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. That is what he wants us to do. Not because they're not forgiven, but because we need to release those things to God and walk in his victory, right? Which leads us to the next 
thing. Where did that victory happen? It happened on the cross. And that's what we celebrate at the table of communion. See, at the table of communion, we're reminded that God sent his one and only son. Jesus, as we're told in Philippians, could have stayed in his throne with all the privileges and all the power and all the wonderfulness of being in the presence of God every single moment, but he chose to come down, to humble himself, to take a position of a servant, to become like you and I, now 100% man, 100% God for eternity, for the purpose to make us clean, to make us righteous. He came for you and I, a sinless man, a perfect man. Even unbelievers agree that Jesus was an amazing man, the only man ever, ever to be sin-free. And he came to give us freedom from our sin. And he did this at the, before he went to the cross. We're told in 1 Corinthians the story of how this supper was started. It says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What is the point of communion? To remember. That's the answer. What's the point of communion? To remember. We come to relive that moment of Jesus saying, I am going to give myself fully for you, that you might have life, life to the fullest. And every time we take communion, it's not the same every single week. It's not routine because every time I come to the table of communion, here's what you and I can be reminded of. What did Jesus save us from today? Look at David's own words. When he The word that I love, uh, this is in verse 13. He says, For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the deaths, from the realm of the dead. Every time we come to communion, I can say, Oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me from that. Oh, Jesus, thank you for saving from that. For example, oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me for hitting send on that email. Thank you for the delete button. Oh, Jesus, thank you for my ability to say I'm sorry when I was so offended that I wanted to say a few Puerto Rican words to someone. Thank you, Lord, you saved me from that. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from taking something that's not mine. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from being a gossip. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from lying. Thank you, Jesus, for doing the wrong thing, for letting my eyes wander, from going into pornography. You name it. We come to the table communion to remember he saved us from death, and he does it every single day. But it's not the only thing we come to do at the table of communion. Because while it's a place we remember that we were saved from death, we will fail from time to time, right? We will do the thing we're not supposed to do. We will go where we're not supposed to go. And this is also the table of grace, where he says, I paid for that too. And so we can come and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. I failed this week. I did what I shouldn't have done. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for, for paying even for that. I'm so sorry. It's almost like you feel, in a sense, Jesus is on the cross taking on whatever it is that we will do, think, or imagine all the way through for all of eternity as we are alive until we are made perfect in him. 
So we come here to receive and embrace his grace. It's not a place of judgment. It's a place of grace. It's a place of gratitude. Now, how could that possibly be routine? How could that be the same every single week? Isn't it different? Isn't it different every time you come to do communion? And it should be. David understood that. In Psalm 51, when he was caught in his greatest sin, he calls on to God for mercy. And we come here, we go, thank you for your mercy, and I call for more mercy because we need it, right? Then we have the candles. I'm sorry that we don't have enough candles for every single person to light them because every service I see sometimes we fill them all up because it is a beautiful station. Here's David's words in verse 17. He says, Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Give me a sign of your goodness. What is the greatest sign ever given to us of God's goodness? If you don't know the answer in church, it's always good to say Jesus. What is the greatest sign we've been given? Jesus. You could say it. The greatest sign God has ever given us of his goodness is Jesus. In fact, we're told that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am that sign that God is good, loving, alive, powerful, merciful, graceful, faithful, loving, you name it. And so when we light a candle, what we're saying is, yes, God, you have given us a sign of hope. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how dark our situation might feel, no matter how hopeless, there is always hope because God's goodness never ends. And so if you've given up on God's hope, I pray to do today that that's the first station you go to. And you're reminded that you've been given a clear picture of God's goodness. And then the beauty of the candles. As you light a candle and you walk away, and that fire is still burning, it's almost like pulling from Revelation where it says, the prayers of the people are, and the incense is burning up to the Lord. It's almost like you leave your prayer there and you let it burn up to the Lord. And you can pray for yourself, you can pray for someone else, you can pray for our church, you can pray for your work, your, your community, your neighborhood, you name it. That's what the candles mean. Now how, again, how could that be routine? Don't we have a different reason to come to God for hope every day? Isn't there someone always different to pray for? And so we come to the candle fully expecting to have a different conversation with God. And maybe, maybe we come to hear something from God. Not necessarily to say something, but to hear something. Aren't the stations of this chapel absolutely beautiful? I, I, I'm just so grateful that the people who designed this space traveled and visited churches all over and collected this beautiful uh, ability for us to respond to God every week. But it's, while it might be routine, it's never the same. And I want us to, once we respond today, and I invite the worship team to come forward, here's what I want you to know. We purposely have left a lot of time, you, you get plenty of time, for us to really take our time through the stations. I know what happens during the week, during the Sundays, that some of you have something really important to do and you run off, like Eric is doing right now. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> no, he's a prayer warrior. I'm just joking. <sighs> But don't do that. Don't walk away in a conversation with your Heavenly Father. 
We make space for you to talk to your Heavenly Father, right? And you may have a different conversation today than you had last Sunday. And so while you're all really good at getting organized and, and starting down the aisle and doing communion first and then doing the others, I want you to do that today. I want you to go wherever God is calling you. I think some of you already know where you need to go first. And it's okay to do just one station or do two or do them all. You have five choices. So I'm going to give us like 30 seconds before you just jump off your seat and go somewhere. I want you to like open your heart as David said. God, Lord, I am poor and needy. I pray to you because you answer my prayers. Father, would you tell me where to go? What station here at the chapel would you like me to meet you at so we can have a conversation? And then linger there long enough to hear what God has to say to you. And then go to any of the other stations. And then we're going to gather together and we're going to praise God for communicating with us, for being with us. We don't want to close this conversation and just walk out. We want to close this conversation with gratitude in our hearts for our Heavenly Father, right? And I know that's going to happen. It's going to get very messy in the room. Some of you are going to all couple in one of these places. Who knows where God's calling you? Let's just be kind and patient with one another and just, just make room for people to have their dialogue with God. Let me pray for you before you go. Father, thank you for the example of David, a man after your own heart. We want, to, we want to be known that way too. We want to be people that seek after you, people that dialogue with you, people that are walking with you. So Lord, thank you for this time. Time is precious. And we're using this time to be with you, to hear from you. And so as each person walks in the room and goes where you call them, Father, would you, as you promise, answer their prayers? And Father, would you help us listen to you, make room for you to speak into our hearts? We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, take a moment to reflect, and when you're ready... Go ahead and respond. Amen and amen. Do you know what that word represents? That is true. I agree. When we say amen, we're like saying, yes, that is true. The Bible ends with amen. Revelation 22 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So this is like the best way to end this prayer, right? So put your hands out. Lord God, would you pour your grace upon your people. We thank you for meeting us here today. We thank you for what you have said to us, each and every one of us. I'm overwhelmed by your kindness and your compassion and your sweet, sweet, loving voice. Father, we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's children say, amen. God, going God's grace. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more. 
where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.